This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. The great thing about tag uh, teaching is you, you never quite know when the tag's being passed. Um, so what I wanted to do this morning before I turn it over to Jonathan is just very, very briefly uh, recap um, what we did last night to remind those uh, with adult brains and those who weren't here. Um, so the three things that I wanted to make sure that we all understand is the three overarching purposes for this time together is that we would actually learn something about prayer or be reminded of something that we already know about prayer. Secondly, that we would pray while we're here. Um, and so uh, we'll be doing lots of that today. And that you'll go home from here, whether it's later today or whether it's uh, tomorrow afternoon, with some ideas, some commitments of ways that you can refocus your own prayer lives, some habits that you can build upon. Um, so last night we looked at the question of why pray, and we had five reasons. Anybody remember what was the first one? We can't not pray. And the second one? It's relational, that's right. We, we pray to express our relationship with God. And the third one? Cry out to God. We're crying out to God for him to act, for his help, or whatever it is. And the fourth one, it's communal. We're not alone. We're not in this alone. Um, actually, it's not just each other. We have the whole communion of saints. Um, and then fifthly, why do we pray? Yeah, stuff happens. Maybe in us, maybe in the cosmic realms, we, you know, but it, something happens. Okay, and then Andrea spoke about how our view of God can so shape our approach to prayer. And, you know, if our life experiences have marred our image of God for all kinds of reasons, then those are some things that we want to bring to God for healing so that we have a right view of God. Um, and so if you were here, uh, we participated with those little hearts and, you know, the colic for purity. To, we start every Sunday that prayer um, almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, from whom no secrets are hid. And so we had that opportunity to write some of the desires of our hearts, maybe the burdens of our hearts, and then post them into those two brown boxes uh, near the illuminated trees. So this morning, if you weren't here last night, do wander over to that area. And if you've got something on your heart, you can write it on a post-it note and pop it in the box, and then on Sunday we're going to put those boxes on the altar for our worship. Um, and if maybe you have another one, you've already done one, you can do more. So just so that that's there. Okay, Jonathan. I heard that I can take this thing off. Oh, it's on now. <laughs> See, when you grow up Southern Baptist, and you grow up listening to Run DMC and Chuck D, you know what I'm saying? This has been my dream since I was like a little kid, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so I grew, up, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. I'm here to talk to you this morning a little bit about the daily office, okay? So I grew up <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> stuff will happen. Y'all, I promise stuff will happen if y'all pray the daily office. All right, check this out. I grew up Southern Baptist, and so for me, prayer was conversation with God. That's what prayer is. And guess what? That's true. Prayer is fundamentally conversation with God. But the question is, what is the nature of this conversation? Is it a one-sided monologue? Right? 
Or is it meant to be communion? I think it's the latter, right? It's meant to be communion with God because that's what we're going to actually spend eternity doing. So if that's the case, if that's what prayer is, and that is what the whole goal of our life is, the whole trajectory of our life is, is communion with God, then what we have to do is learn how to pray in a more fully orbed sense. And it turns out, actually, that the history of the church is characterized by a vision of prayer which is fundamentally more comprehensive than simply one-sided conversation with God, us shouting out petitions to God. Okay, the, the two other aspects of prayer that we miss when we think of prayer only in that exclusive kind of conversational way is we miss out the history of meditation and contemplation. We'll be talking about that a little bit more throughout the course of the afternoon. Actually, several of our workshops are oriented towards that, that understanding of prayer, uh, meditation and contemplation. Uh, I'll be, you know, selfishly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to... Um, uh, showcase my own thing. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be uh, teaching on uh, praying with icons. So y'all join, y'all join me for that. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, but also what we're going to be talking about this morning, which is the daily office, which is essentially this. It is prayer as liturgy. Okay. Here's a definition of liturgy. Liturgy is praying at a fixed time with fixed scriptures and prayers for a fixed purpose. Okay. That is what liturgy is. It trains us. It's essentially drill, okay? This trains us in how we ought to be praying, what we ought to be praying for. It actually fundamentally reshapes our hearts and our desires so that we actually know what we should be praying for in our private devotions, okay? Spontaneity is heavily overrated, y'all. Heavily overrated. I'm just telling you, all you got to do is suffer a little bit and you will learn spontaneity is overrated, okay? Liturgy is really good. Liturgy is really healing. And the daily office is fundamentally prayer as liturgy. All right, I just want to talk for just a couple minutes. Y'all stay with me. I'm a church historian. This is how I was trained. I got to do a little bit of a walk through the history of the daily office, okay? All right, fixed hour prayer or prayer as liturgy precedes Christianity. It was a central part of Jewish discipleship, Jewish prayer. The fundamental offices were morning and evening sacrifices of praise, okay? We, we find this already in the Shema prayer in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Here's what it says. Who knows the Shema? Say it out loud. Go ahead. Dang, y'all doing it in Hebrew? What? I got some scholars up in this place. All right, I was just going to say like the English version. <laughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Hear that? Family devotions. That's what it's about. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Evening, morning. The psalmist also suggests a morning and evening pattern of devotion. Listen to Psalm 92, verses 1 through 2. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Why morning and evening? Why do you suppose morning and evening? Beginning and end of the day. But what's significant about beginning and end of the day? Creation. All right, that's good. That's good. I was thinking in a more like, you know, selfish, anthropocentric kind of way. Like, that's awesome. We could cosmic dimension. 
We've got creation, that's right, and, and entrusting the creation back to God. What reasons why, might we need to pray at morning and evening? What happens when you wake up? Help, yes. Like, I don't know about you, when I wake up, the first thing that happens is my mind starts running. I'm like, what do I got going on today, all right? And, the, and, and I'm set off on this trajectory of anxiety, you know? I'm like, I got this, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> so to entrust our days to God on the one hand, and then in the evening, why do we pray again? To, re- to reflect back upon the day. Where were you present? Where were you absent, God? Where did I didn't, not where you, not literally where were you absent, but where did I feel your absence? Where did I feel that you were not present with me? Where did I feel alone? Okay? And also to entrust the evening to God because at night, when we are asleep, we are at our most vulnerable. So we need to entrust that time to God. All right, so, so Jewish prayer recognizes that. There's also two other patterns, interestingly, of, of um, segmenting the day with prayer in the, that, are, that are in the scriptures. Number one, Psalm 55, 17 suggests a threefold prayer, morning, noon, and night. He says, evening, this is actually a psalm of lament, right? Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Now check this out. You might imagine crying out in distress being a kind of thing where you're like, God, where are you? Show up. But at least by the time of Jesus' day, right, Second Temple Judaism, this meant you were literally crying out the psalms of lament. You were praying these psalms of lament from the scriptures, from the prayer book of the Bible, right? That's how you cry out in your distress to God three times a day, morning, noon, and night, all right? So when you are in distress, when that moment of suffering comes along to you, guess what? Morning, noon, and night. You better pull out these psalms of lament. You better be crying them out to Jesus. All right, Daniel 6.10 also suggests three times a day, right? So three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. And then the last kind of way of segmenting the day, it's the most extravagant of all, appears in Psalm 119. Seven times a day do I praise you for your righteous laws. And guess what? This psalm becomes the gold standard for all Christian fixed-hour prayer in the whole history of Christianity, okay? So beginning with Basil the Great, we have these... these, uh, very meticulous descriptions of what these prayer services look like. So that's the beginning of the 4th century. And then, of course, in the 6th century, the rule of St. Benedict outlines it. Here are the psalms you pray. Here are the prayers you pray. Seven times a day you do it, okay? All right. So in the New Testament, the assumption is that there are going to be different times of prayer throughout the day. There's the third hour that's mentioned, 9 a.m., the sixth hour, 12 p.m., and the ninth hour, 3 p.m. They're all hours of prayer. They're all described in that way in Scripture. It was the third hour when the disciples were gathered for prayer that the Holy Spirit falls on them, right, at Pentecost. At the sixth hour, Peter goes on top of the house to pray, and he receives that grand vision of the sheet being lowered down. Y'all got to permit me a joke real quick, okay? This is one that was told to me by a Calvinist friend of mine. There was a a Presbyterian theologian named B.B. Warfield in the 19th century, and uh, he was a a staunch Calvinist, okay? He had a vision of a sheet being lowered down. And in the sheet were gathered all sorts of Pelagians and Arminians, and he heard a voice from heaven declare, kill and eat. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. I'm sorry, that was like apropos of nothing, but I just just remembered it. Okay. But Acts chapter 3 says, at the ninth hour, Peter and John went up together into the temple to pray. And that was the hour of prayer. That's what it says. So we, we understand that there are these moments that are set apart within Jewish culture to actually devote time to God, to segment the day, to segment, segment secular time with sacred time, or to infuse secular time with sacred time so that the day is consecrated at various points to the Lord. And this prayer 
was not simply free prayer. It was preeminently the recitation of the Psalms. This was the prayer book of the Bible that the Jews prayed faithfully every single day at different times of day, and the Christians took that over. And again, as I already mentioned, they used this line from Psalm 119 to sort of organize and punctuate the day. And so ultimately, these hours got, got crystallized into a structure of every three hours, 6, 9, 12, 3, 6, 9. That was the seven offices of the day. And over time, uh, Christians began to, to, to appoint various psalms as more appropriate to those offices, right? So, uh, you know, to, to this day, um, our, our prayer book gathers some of these psalms, right? If you look at the Compline service, uh, there are four psalms that are appointed for that, Psalm 3, 4, 91, and 134. So these are all, these are, these are historic psalms, psalms that, that were said to be completely appropriate for this, this office of the day. And they did that for all of them. As I mentioned, Basil the Great is one of the great theologians who does this, who organizes these, these prayer services that way. And over time, these prayer services are collected into a book called the Breviary. And the Breviary is basically just a book that combines all these services, right? And it's, it's how Christians used to pray together communally during the medieval period. But over time, uh, as you know, the Roman Empire begins to fragment as things become more insecure. It really becomes just the monks who are praying these offices, right? So the monks have these elaborate offices, right, that are, that are all set out. And the people kind of cease to pray in this way. And the priests cease to pray in this way. But in the Reformation, when the Book of Common Prayer was translated and compiled by Thomas Cranmer, his, he knew all of this history, right? And so his goal was to get the people praying together again. Common prayer, Right? Um, his goal was to recover a communal piety that could be prayed by everyone. And so morning and evening prayer are a distillation and a simplification of all of these offices. It's, it combines the, the, the offices of the morning into a single office and the offices of the evening into a single office. It compresses them all. And his hope, the, his expressed hope, was that the people would pray all these things together. The 1662 prayer book in the preface says that these morning and evening offices are to be prayed openly or privately by all priests and deacons. Okay? Priests and deacons don't have fundamentally a different calling than the rest of everybody else who's a Christian. Basically, what we do is we are called to draw everyone into the calling that all of us have. So Cranmer's hope was that as priests were leading these prayers, and when he says openly, he means in the churches, right? That people would gather and they would pray together, right? So my hope for you is that, is that as you begin to learn how to pray the offices, that you would gather people in your homes, right? In your community groups, you would use the offices because this is how we pray together. Okay, so let me just give a couple of reasons why I think it's important to pray in this liturgical way, all right? Number one, I already mentioned this, but I think it's worth repeating. It's drill. This is training yourself to pray, what you should pray, when you should pray, how you should pray, how your heart should be when you pray, okay? Now, Paul, in the, letter, the second letter of Timothy, which is an astonishing letter. I've been studying it recently. It's an amazing letter. But Paul says, hey, Timothy, you're timid. Let me tell you what to do. Fan into flame the gift that is yours by the laying on of my hands. How do you do that? Beginning of chapter 2, he says, you are a soldier, right? A soldier doesn't get involved in civic, civic affairs, but listens to his commanding officer. You're an athlete. An athlete does not win unless he trains. You're a farmer, right? Farmer doesn't eat unless he plows the field, right? So three images that Paul gives us to understand the life of prayer, the life of developing in the faith, of fanning this gift into flame, right? 
Paul sees this, essentially, the life of prayer as a life of training, right? A life of discipline, okay? When the Christians labeled these prayer services as daily offices, that comes from the Latin word officium, which is the word for duty, okay? This is the drill that one must do in order to be the soldier. This is the training one must do to be an athlete. This is the plowing and tilling of the field that one must do in order to be a farmer in the Christian life. That's explicitly how they understood this. All right, so that's one thing, and I think that's really important. The second thing is that this is bringing corporate prayer, the corporate prayer of weekly communion, into the daily run of your life. It's encouraging you not to think of your, of your private prayer as somehow separate from the prayer that the church as a whole is praying, okay? When we come together, when we assemble for weekly communion, that's the most important thing you do in your, in your week, okay? That's according to Scripture, like the Holy Spirit is particularly present in those moments where we are gathered together in worship. And the daily office diffuses that communal prayer into your, into your week, into your living week. It takes the scriptures that we read in the, in the offices, in the, uh, in the lectionary. It takes the prayers that we pray together as a church and it infuses your day with those prayers. And it encourages you to remember that you are praying together with a great company of saints. And then lastly... I think the most important thing for me, personally, has been that spontaneity is deeply overrated. <laughs> right? Honestly, I have found this discipline to be immensely rewarding, to pray together with the church and to know that I am praying prayers that are sturdy and that have been given to me to pray in order to reshape my heart has been the most helpful for me when I have found myself to be speechless before God. And the time for me that I have found myself most speechless before God has been in times of deep suffering. So most of you know that when we came here, we had just eight months or so of, of truly difficult things. I mean, uh, Tisha's dad passed away. We lost two babies. Uh, she was attacked on the internet. Like all kinds of like really, truly terrible things just kind of seemed to keep happening after, one after another. And we found, like honestly, I, I found I couldn't pray. I was looking for words to pray, and I couldn't find them. And Tish would look for words to pray, and we just couldn't find them. Our, our, our internal voice, our external voices failed us. So we, what we had to do really for the first time, and we had practiced this before, but what we had to do was lean hard on these offices, that these were sturdy words. We could pray them, and they would hold us up. So y'all, what kept us alive during that season was the office of Compline. We memorized those prayers. And those, prayers those prayers kept us upright, and I still pray them every single night with my girls when they go to sleep. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted. Shield the joyous. And all for your love's sake. Amen. You can pray that prayer. That prayer will hold you up. You know what I'm saying? You can devote yourself to God with that prayer. Prayer is liturgy, is beautiful. And it will come to you, and it will meet you, and it will hold you up in times of grief and sorrow, in times of suffering, times when your body is failing you, you can still say these words. People with Alzheimer's can still say the Lord's Prayer. People with Alzheimer's can still say the Apostles' Creed. These offices are sturdy. So I just want to encourage you, take these things up. Take these practices up. Let them shape you. Let them forge your heart and your patterns of prayer. Segment your day, infuse your day with the sacred through these offices. 
So we're actually going to turn now, and uh, Jonathan is going to begin, and we're going to actually just pray the offices together. I'm going to try this microphone. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, so it's commanding, isn't uh, Yeah, it's very commanding. I, I want to give it a name. This is the Yarl microphone. Did you notice Jonathan Warren only quoted two church fathers, but we had 127 Yarls? <laughs> Amazing. No. So I want to read to you. I don't like them. Uh, I, I, well, listen, if, it, if it's getting dull, just, just point at this and I'll, I'll see what I can do. I can, you know. <laughs> I wanted to read to you from the catechism. Um, this is the first edition of our new uh, Anglican uh, catechism. It's called To Be a Christian. There's actually a new edition. When, do you know when it's being, not sure when it's being published? In June? Okay. So, um, Joel, yeah. Oh, it should be on a PDF by the end of the month, so you'll be able to get this on the website. But I wanted to... This is a great uh, resource for us, and there's a whole section in here on the Christian life and the Lord's Prayer. Um, but I want to read um, an extract that says this. Prayer takes two primary forms. On the one hand, we speak to God on our own, apart from human company, as our Savior directed in the Sermon on the Mount. On the other hand, we also pray in company as part of a worshipping congregation in any group that meets for prayer, and ideally also with family and friends, what Jonathan was just talking about. Here are two proven patterns for daily prayer. The first pattern is to follow in whole or in part, and actually this abridged thing today is going to be in part, the morning and evening prayer services prescribed in the Book of Common Prayer, the daily office. Many Anglicans do this. The second pattern, also widely used, is to follow the path marked out by the acronym ACTS, which stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is do a whole day, 24 hours in 30 minutes, as we do four of the offices in the abridged um, form. And we're going to do both of the things that the catechism says. We're going to use these formal offices together, and we're going to use this ACTS form for prayer. Because what you'll discover is, as we go through each of the offices, there's always a piece that says, you know, prayers may be offered. So what I want us to do in those times is... The f for the first office, for the morning office, we'll just do adoration prayers. And then noontime, we'll do confession prayers. Evening, we'll do thanksgiving. And Compline, we'll do supplication. And so I'm going to, the room will divide into four quarters. So the first four rows will be a quarter. Uh, the second four rows and those in the club class seats at the back will do the second quarter. And then likewise, okay? But I'll explain when we get there. So, um... I want you to, and I'm going to, you've, you've probably, some of you have experienced an instructed Eucharist. Well, this is going to be more like an instructed daily office. So what I want you to do is to take these guides that are on your seats, family prayer guide. This is not morning prayer and evening prayer, but this is from our Book of Common Prayer. This is draft two of the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. This will be published in June with the final, final edit. So you probably don't want to rush out and buy this copy. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, but the, the final copy is, is very, very soon to be upon us. Um, and so let's take a look. Um, 
Yes, so even on, on right in the inside cover, it says, these devotions follow the basic structures of the daily office of the church and are particularly appropriate for families with young children. And that is so true, but uh, don't feel that you're above that. It's okay if you're not a family with young children. Um, this is a great resource. And this is one of the things for this weekend. We want to send you home with some resources. This isn't to replace the Book of Common Prayer, but it maybe is to help kickstart uh, you in your prayer. So we're going to be going up on page one. We're going to look at in the morning. And, of course, you'll see it begins with prayer, uh, words of praise to God. And then we present our hearts to God a little bit like the colic for purity. But where does this prayer come from? Make me a clean heart. Psalm 51. What's the context of Psalm 51? It's David confessing his sins after that dreadful, dreadful business with Bathsheba and all that followed and came out of that. And you can read about that if you don't know what I'm talking about. And then there's a reading from Scripture. And I we're going to be using one of the readings that's printed here in a moment, but I wanted to say another word about that because Jonathan spoke about the liturgy and, and the offices, and within that is something called the uh, lectionary. And um, if you'll turn to page 12 of your booklets, you will see it's entitled Daily Office Lectionary, and I'll let you read that later at your leisure. Um, and there is a cycle of prayer for reading the Psalms, and it could be over one month or over two months. Um, but then I want you to turn the page, and it says, Annual Cycle of Lessons Appointed. And just a little teaching moment here. Towards the end of that middle section, it says, it talks about how the Gospels are read twice through every year, and how the whole Scriptures are covered. And then it says... Um, Less of the Apocrypha has been included than in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. However, select passages have been retained in keeping with the classic Anglican principle that the church doth read these books for example of life and instruction of manners, but yet doth it not apply them to establish any doctrine. That's in the 39 Articles of Religion. Now, I know the other Sunday we had a reading from the Apocrypha, and a few people said, oh, my goodness, what is that? Um, which is fine. You can say that. Um, just want to make the point, it's not totally weird. We haven't kind of lost the plot or gone off the rails. It's been part of our practice as Anglicans since we began that the Apocrypha is retained, not for establishing doctrine, but insofar as it's useful and helpful in our worship, in our devotion to God, then fine, we can read it. So don't panic. And, and you may notice when we use the Apocrypha, we don't say the word of the Lord. We just say, here ends the reading. All right. Um, and then, uh, just a note, uh, so let's go back now, page, I want you to look at page 8 and 9. Oh no, I haven't finished, sorry, 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 sorry. We've got, using the lectionary, this is, this really is, um, let's just say an easy guide, I won't use any pejorative language. So, <clears throat> if you go to page 36, you will find there's October, if you're wondering what you're meant to read, this is not difficult. It's October, and it's the 6th. So, morning prayer, date on the left, look across. Oh, the first reading is 1 Kings 10, and then it's a bit hard to read, but you see there's a little finger pointing there? I think it is. So it's a finger. Yeah. Basically, if you don't want to read the whole of chapter 20, here are the suggested verses that it would be really good to read. 
So again, this is really trying to make this accessible, helpful, something you can do. And then the second lesson is next to it, 1 Peter. Then uh, if you're using a 60-day read through the Psalms, there's your Psalm. And then you've got evening prayer. And you'll notice at the top it says October 1 and October 2. If you're not able to do morning and evening prayer and you're not going to do this twice, then do a 60-day cycle and you can, you can run through this. So you can do a yearly cycle. You can do... Um, so you can do October 1 in, in, if you like, your year 1, and then you do October 2 in year 2. So you can do this over two years. The point is, there are lots of ways to do this, and it's pretty easy to follow. Anybody can do this. Okay, so <clears throat> let's go back to the office before we say it together, back to page 2. I've already mentioned prayers may be offered and how we're going to do that, but there's one other thing. Um, I want to draw your attention to at the end of this first section you'll see it's headed additional prayers on page 8 so again you're not sure what to pray well look at one of these for the family for relatives and friends for children in the morning at night for quiet confidence and in <clears throat> the prayer book when I hope, which I hope you'll get in, in June there's a whole section of additional prayers these are fantastic prayers you know, if you're sending someone a get well card, you can write a prayer in there. Maybe you don't know what to say. Or a birthday card. There's a prayer for that. There are hundreds of prayers for you to use and access. <clears throat> okay, and then you'll see there's, a, um, in the back to the daily office, there's a concluding uh, sentence, and it says, and it refers you to the bottom of page seven, and it's concluding sentences from morning and evening prayer. So that's the instruction for um, in the morning. What I want us to do now is um, pray this office. Um, so we'll go through the office. We'll stay seated, except when we get to prayers may be offered, and then the first quadrant's going to stand. And my charge to you is for very short, short, just let me say that again, just short prayers um, of adoration. So it might be one word about God that you want to just adore God, okay? And it would be great if, I don't know how many people are sitting in the first quadrant, maybe 40. You know, let's have five, six, eight, 10, 12, 20 prayers. So don't overthink it, but just engage with it. All right, so let's just be still for a moment. This, these are our prayers in the morning. O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. Let's say together. Make me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. O give me the comfort of your help again, and sustain me with your willing spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We'll use the first reading. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By the way, the silence here is so that we can reflect on the scriptures that we've just read. 
now I'd invite the first quadrant to stand and offer brief prayers of adoration. We offer these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll say the Apostles' Creed. We'll just say the Creed once today and that's now. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and give us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Say together, O Lord, our heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, <clears throat> you have brought us safely to the beginning of this day, Defend us by your mighty power, that we may not fall into sin, Spirit. We may do what is righteous in your sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Turning to page 7, the concluding sentence. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Please be seated. It is now the middle of the day. Time flies when you're having fun. Jonathan. <clears throat> now, remember when I said that at the sixth hour, Peter was on the roof and he received the vision of the sheep being lowered down, which was not full of Pelagians and Arminians, but <laughs> of various animals. Um, what also happened, uh, perhaps of even greater significance, um, but related significance, actually, and I don't think it's, it's an accident that these two occurred at the same hour, uh, is that the, our Savior was hanging from the cross, right? He was defeating sin and death and the devil on the cross at noon. Um, so you notice our, our collect here at the bottom of the page reflects this. Um, so we'll be praying that just to keep, keep an eye on that. Um, but we'll, we'll begin here in just a moment of silence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Pray together a part of Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Sing praises, you servants of the Lord. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth forevermore, the Lord's name be praised. From the rising up of the sun, to the going down of the same. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. 
you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, as Jonathan has already instructed us, uh, this is is a reading that's kind of standardized, but you can add, you can substitute, uh, what was what I mean, one of the readings from the daily office lectionary that is included in the back here. And again, he pointed out, it's very simple. You know exactly what it is you're meant to read for the day. So choose one of those scriptures as well uh, to sort of um, to fill this out, fill this service out. So now we're going to, uh, to have a moment of silence, and then we'll, I'll ask the second section to stand up uh, and offer prayers of confession. But let's be silent for just a moment. Together, let's pray the prayer our Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Blessed Savior, at this hour you hung upon the cross, stretching out your loving arms. Grant that all the peoples of the earth may look to you and be saved, for your tender mercy's sake. Amen. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is now the early evening. I forgot to say something about the collect. It's from a Latin word which really means to collect, to collect together, to gather together the prayers of the people um, into one prayer that can be said Uh, collectively so I want to say one other thing you'll see here in the office for the early evening Um, a couple of things it says this devotion may be used before or after the evening meal again just throwing out ideas of how you might incorporate this into a rhythm of life so I just commend that to you secondly you'll see this phos hilaron phos as in phosphorus as in light and hilaron, as in hilarity, or O gladsome light. And this is a very, very ancient prayer. Um, Nobody quite knows how ancient it is, um, but it's been used in the office of the evening for as long as we know. Um, It's also traditionally a candle-lighting hymn. There's another idea for you as you use this office. You can light a candle which, by the way, I find personally super helpful when I can't focus. And this frequently happens, I'm trying to write a sermon, um, and and I'm I'm pacing up and down, and and Andrew will come in and say, I think it's time you lit a candle. (laughs) So I'm learning. But this was an ancient hymn of the Byzantine liturgy. Um, St. Basil the Great, see, I can do it too. Now I've got, oh no, I don't need that, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, he, 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 just, he, in three, he died in 379, okay? And he described this as ancient. In fact, it's so old, he didn't know who wrote it. So let's just go with it's old. All right, so. And I love that about praying the prayers that other Christians have prayed for literally hundreds and hundreds, more than a thousand years. 
How excellent is your mercy, O God. The children of men shall take refuge under the shadow of your wings, for with you is the well of life, and in your light shall we see light. Let's say, O gladsome light, together. O gladsome light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed, now as we come to the setting of the sun and our eyes behold the vesper light, we sing your praises, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices, O Son of God, O giver of life, and to be glorified through all the worlds. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Before I ask the third quadrant to stand and lead us in prayers of thanksgiving, you should have on your seats a colored ribbon. I'd like you to take that and <clears throat> grab hold of a pen. There are extra pens in the boxes by the door you came in or borrow one from a neighbor. I'd like us all to engage in these prayers of thanksgiving. Remember, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, that's where we've got to. I'd like you to write uh, a prayer of thanksgiving on your ribbon. It might be one word, or it might be five words. I don't mind, whatever you can fit. And then, when we come to the break, those illuminated barren trees are going to be covered not with leaves, but with your thanksgivings. So the idea is tie on, so leave enough space to tie on your ribbon to one of the branches of the trees sometime uh, during the day. Um, and again, there are extra ribbons over there, so if you want to add thanksgivings throughout the weekend, you can. So let's just take a moment to write a thanksgiving. And then I'll ask the four, third quadrant to stand and, and pray some of the thanksgiving prayers. Thank you, Lord, for all the uh, thanksgivings voiced out loud and for all the thanksgivings written on the ribbons. We have so much to thank you for, Lord God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord Jesus, stay with us, for evening is at hand and the day is past. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture and the breaking of bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen. And now we come to the close of the day. So one other uh, piece of symbolism that's really important about sort of the beginning and end of the day is that uh, in, in scriptures together, but also uh, in the early church, the evening was meant to remind us of our deaths and the coming of our deaths. And so to, to also to take that as a time to meditate both on what death means to us and also what death means as transformed and transfigured by Jesus Christ. And mourning was also meant to be received as a mini resurrection, right? William Law, uh, who's a great sort of 18th century um, or 17th century Anglican theologian, said that treat each day as the resurrection and to allow, enable Christ's love to transform you as, you as you offer your daily sacrifices to him in the morning. So that, again, that bookending of the day and uh, morning and evening is, is really crucial for us as we uh, begin to think about our discipleship and how we devote ourselves to God. Uh, and you'll notice on page seven, um, one of the prayers that's uh, that's always sort of 
collected together with co the Compline service, and this is kind of a miniature Compline service, is the Nunc Dimittis. And notice what it says. It says, let your servant depart in peace. So at the end of the day, we're actually devoting our, our, our whole entire lives to God and asking that he would enable us to live and die a holy death, actually. So that's, uh, that's a meditation that should be on our hearts as we pray this. So we'll begin uh, again with a moment of silence. I will lay myself down in peace and take my rest. For you, Lord, only make me dwell in safety. Pray Psalm 134 together. Behold now, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, you that stand by night in the house of the Lord, even in the courts of the house of our God. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and sing praises unto the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth give you blessing out of Zion. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. You keep them in perfect peace, whose minds are stayed on you, because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I'd like to invite the fourth section to stand and to offer prayers of supplication or petitions for yourself or others. Visit this place, O Lord, and drive far from it all snares of the enemy. Let your holy angels dwell with us to preserve us in peace, and let your blessing be upon us always. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. By the way, this is also an ancient prayer. I've seen an 11th century uh, breviary that has this prayer in it. So, amazing. Let's say together the Nunc Dimittis. Everybody stand, please. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us this night and evermore. Amen. Okay, just be seated for a couple of minutes. Um, so I just want to want to wrap this session up by saying, um, as I don't know who originally said this, but it's certainly been said to me by uh, people have helped me. Pray as you can, not as you can't. So it's not as if you have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and do everything just right. No. The point is we want you to pray and be people of prayer. And, and variety is a good thing, so you can change it up. And as you can see, even from this morning, there's all kinds of scope for doing that. Um, you know, just as Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, so liturgy is for our benefit, not the other way around. We're not serving the liturgy. And, and I just encourage you not only to pray alone, but to pray with others. Uh, if you're married, you can pray with your spouse. If you live with someone, you've got a, 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 a housemate, you can pray with them. If, if you have a family, there are, if you're in a community group, there are lots of ways to pray with other people. Um, and, and pray at all times. 